Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. Good morning, family. Good morning, family. Yes, come on, it's a good morning. It's the day that the Lord has made and it is, I am back here in, I think I haven't preached in the past five weeks. It is really great to be back. Uh, you will hear that it does sound a little bit like I'm speaking from a box. Uh, I've been fighting a little bit of a, <coughs> of a nose, sinus, and a throat infection more than the past week, so uh, I have been asking God to just supernaturally grace my voice. If I'm a little bit softer, I'm gonna ask Nick to boost me a bit, but um, I think this is good. I usually say that I'm going to speak softer and then I don't because I can't, I can't help myself, okay? So let's do this. Let's go. We're in, we're in, a, in a series, a new series. We're in week two of our new series uh, that is called Who is God? Who is God? And it's a series that is aimed at discovering who God really is, okay? Simple. A.W. Tozer, famous writer, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a famous quote in which he said, that one of the most, or which taught one of the most important thing about us as people is our understanding of who God is. Philip just prayed about it, spoke about it quickly uh, in the moment in the worship. And the reason for that is because our understanding of God affects our most fundamental understanding of life. So for example, why are we here? What's our purpose? What's our meaning? How do we get here? How do we tell right from wrong? How do we make the right decisions? Where do we go when we die? What's our destiny? Your understanding of who God is affects the way that you answer these questions. The way that you, you answer these questions affects the way that you make every single decision of your life every single day. The most fundamental thing about you and the way you live your life is your understanding of God. And so the series is aimed at not redefining God, but revealing who God is so that our understanding might align with that, and therefore our lives and our decision-making. So last week, uh, Ruan preached his first sermon here at Moikluf. That was exciting. Yes, Rubes, well done. I had, a, I, I had the privilege of listening to your sermon in the week. It was awesome, man. So proud of you and so excited of what God is doing in your life. You guys are welcome to go listen to it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. He preached on the name of God, his name. I am who I am, Yahweh. Uh, the way that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and the way that he's been revealing himself all over history. And, and what is the significance of that name? Uh, it means that he is self-sufficient, self-existent almighty, all-knowing, and is distinct from anything else in existence. You see, because if I, if I want to describe someone, I many times say, you know what, they, they remind me, Philip reminds me a lot of my uncle, right? I've got some frame of reference that I can use. I can, I can say, you know what, he, he's very fatherly, he's like a father. But in all of history, God, the only thing that God can compare himself to is himself. If I want to define myself, I can say I am. That's all that God can do. And so we, we don't need to rethink or reform God. We just simply discover him. This week, we're talking about the Trinity. The Trinity, the significance of God's essence and how it affects us. So 
before we dive too much into this, I want to share a couple of important elements of the Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible, and neither will you find a lengthy description in the Bible of the Trinity. Why not? Well, if I asked you today, go and find me a lengthy description of the earth's roundness. Would you do that? Would you find that? Not necessarily, not anymore at least. Because in all of our scientific discoveries and uh, writings that we have, we sort of assume that everyone knows the earth is round, right? And it's the same in the Bible, on every single page, in every teaching, it is assumed the Trinity. The Trinity, therefore, this teaching. The Trinity, therefore. And so if you really wanna understand who God is, if you understand how life functions, and if you wanna understand the Bible, then we need to understand the Trinity because it is assumed on every page. So a very quick uh, uh, sort of definition of the Trinity goes like this. It says that God is eternally one being manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, uh, a cool illustration is I can ask, what am I? What am I? I am human right? I am male. I am perhaps a certain ethnicity, but that is what I am. I am one being. That is what I am. But who am I? I'm Christian. I have one identity. This is who I am. I'm one person. Okay. Now, what is God? What is he? He is one being. He is God. He is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He is spirit, according to John 4. That is what God is. But, but who is God? God is three persons. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am one being. I am one person. He is one being, three persons. I'm going to stop there because if you had to be a three-dimensional being explaining depth to a two-dimensional being, it'll be tough, right? They've got no frame of reference. And it's the same with us. And the purpose of my sermon this morning is not specifically that we might understand how the Trinity, how it's possible or how it exists, but more that we might know what is the significance of God being Trinity and how that affects us. So let's dive into the Word. We're going to be in John chapter 17. I want to invite all of you uh, to get your Bibles or get the Scripture because I'm referring back to the Scripture often. It'll be good for you to have John 17 open in front of you. And while you're doing that, I'll give some necessary context. So John 13 to 17 is Jesus' final week with his disciples. It's called the Farewell Discourse. And it has some of the most profound and important teachings of Jesus Christ that we have on record. And so we get to chapter 17, and Jesus is done teaching. It is the night of his arrest. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays one last prayer out loud before he will be arrested and taken to be crucified. So we've got the son, and the son is having this conversation with the father, and this is probably the most extensive and intimate conversation we have within the Trinity. And we're going to discover from this conversation what is the significance of the Trinity. There's a lot 
in the scripture that you can preach on. You can preach on unity. You can preach on glory. You can preach on love. You can preach on so many things. I'm going to focus specifically on the inner workings of the Trinity and how that affects us. So we're going to read from verse 1 to 6 and verse 20 to 26. All right, John 17, verse 1 to 6 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. All right, verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me, through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. My goodness. There's a lot of me and you and I and Jay and, you know. First thing that is significant about the Trinity is we see the glory of the Trinity. So Jesus starts off this prayer, verse 1 to 6. He speaks five times about glory. Him glorifying the Father. The Father glorifying Him. Mutual glory happening. And this glory existing before creation. Before creation. So we see the Son and the Father have been glorifying each other mutually and eternally. And what does it mean to glorify someone? Well, firstly, it means that we appreciate them. We praise them. We adore or we honor. When you want to glorify someone, you, you lift them up. You praise what they do. You show deep adoration for, for what they have done. You honor. You esteem them. Magnified. Like our whole country has been doing for the past week to the Springboks, right? We've been praising, we've been glorifying, we've been saying, look at what they've done. Look at what they have done for our country. Look at what they've achieved. Man, I also love to glorify my baby daughter. Yo, every time she does, she's just laughing. Then I ask my wife, are all little girls this friendly? I don't think so. <laughs> she started crawling. Five days ago, the 1st of November, boom, my girl is crawling. I said, can everyone crawl this, this well? <laughs> I was at a wedding yesterday. I would say 80% of the conversations 
Can I show you a photo? <laughs> they don't know me off a bar of soap, but man, when you really, really, really love or enjoy or experience the goodness of something, you want to praise, you want to adore, you want to glorify. But secondly, glorifying means that we serve and please one another. When you glorify, so you want to you serve them, you want them to be pleased. And so the Father and the Son have been glorifying and magnifying each other and serving one another since all eternity has passed. And John 16 verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit has also been participating in this glory since the foundation of the world was laid. And so we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all eternity, they've been communicating and pouring glory, praise, appreciation, and joy into one another's hearts in infinite amounts and degrees that we will never be able to understand or imagine. This was before time. Now, if you really wanna glorify someone, you have to love them. And that's the second thing we see in the scripture. We see the love of the Trinity, right? Verse 23, 24, even verse 26, we see that Jesus says, love them even as you have loved me. May they know, may, may we love them as you have loved me. Father, you have loved me. So we see that this love, even verse 24, Jesus says, you have loved me with the love you've, you've loved me before the creation. So this love has also existed before the world. Now love according to the Bible is defined as, yes, the intense desire to really know someone, but also the willful act to lay down your life for what's best for them. To lay down your life for them. Now throughout scripture we see that every member of the Trinity is doing exactly this. I've just quoted John 16 verse 14, we see that the Spirit is glorifying the Son, is making the Son known. John chapter 12 verse 27 to 28, the Son glorifies the Father, pours out His love on the Father. John 8 verse 18, the Father bears witness of the Son. And who can forget the baptism of Jesus Christ, right? In Mark chapter one, verse 11, at Christ's baptism, the Spirit comes on the Son, fills the Son, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Man, I'm pleased with Him. Oh, the love, the adoration. It is deep, it's infinite, but, but it's also visible. We can see it. In Scripture, we see it. One of my favorite depictions of the love among the Trinity is in the creation account found in Proverbs. Wait, there's a creation account in Proverbs? Yes. There's a creation account in Proverbs chapter eight. In Proverbs chapter eight, we see wisdom personified. And wisdom personified, verse 23 to 29, is present when God creates everything. It says things like, I was there when God laid the foundation. I was there when he gave way to the seas and the land. I was there. Now who was there before anything was created? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So many commentators suggest that it would be an accurate translation, an accurate uh, assumption to make that wisdom personified is a reference to members of the Trinity, most probably the Son or the Spirit. So, then we reach verse 30 to 31. And here's what Proverbs 8 verse 30 to 31 says. 
Then I, which is wisdom, or let's say Jesus, was beside him, the father, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now that word delight in Hebrew, shashua, means to dance, to frolic, or to play. So what we're seeing is, creation was not merely a boring, monotonous event of the father sitting on a throne and say, let there be light, and boom, light. It was much more the Trinity gathered, dancing, playing, enjoying, glorifying, praising, and out of this incredible symphony of relationship, creation is birthed. And each of them are delighting in what is being created. You see, the love of the Trinity is the most perfect depiction of true love, and each person has been glorifying witnessing to, adoring each other, gladly laying down themselves for one another. This is the love of the Trinity. But we also see the unity of the Trinity, right? We can't talk about the scripture without talking about unity. Because Jesus so many times, verse 21 to 23 is full of it. Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me, may they be one. And I in you, may they be one. Even as we are one, I in them and you in me, there's this incomprehensible unity among the persons of the Trinity. And so even though they are diverse, because the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, they are each distinct persons with distinct roles in the Trinity, each one 100% God, yes, that makes 300%, but it's not 300%, it's 100%, but it's not 33, 33, 33, it's 100, 100, 100 equals 100. Okay, but they are diverse. That's what, that's what I'm trying to get across. They're not the same. We are not the same. We are diverse. In our language, our ethnicity, the way we were raised, but in the Trinity, we see this beautiful, beautiful unity. They are not just one. He's not saying, Father, please let us be one. Jesus is saying, no, let them be one as we have always been one. Now, this leaves us with a question. Why is this, the glory, the love, and the unity of the Trinity significant? Why is this significant? Why is it significant to us here this morning? Because why would a tripersonal God who already has this mutual communication of infinite happiness, joy, and love create the world? Why would this kind of God create the world? What, what does he have to gain off this? He has nothing to gain from us. He has nothing to gain from this world. We're saying, no, but he wants our worship. But they're worshiping each other. They're glorifying each other. They're, but he wants our love. But they're loving each other. Nobody wants to be one with us. But they're one with each other. Like, do you hear what I'm saying? Why would he make the world? I mean, a unipersonal God, a God who's just completely one, like uh, the Muslims and, and, and Jews believe, that makes sense. 
I mean, look at what uh, Nabil Qureshi, he used to be a Muslim, he's converted a, uh, to, a, to Christianity, became a Christian apologist, he's unfortunately passed away, but in his book, No God But One, he says this, the basic teaching of Tawhid, which is the Muslim teaching on the doctrine of God, is that God is absolutely one. In eternity past, before he created anything, Allah was alone. He was alone. But because of Tawhid, Allah depends on mankind in order to be Allah. God is alone. And so that makes sense that he would then create. But then he's not self-sufficient. Then he is not complete and perfect, right? Because he depends on man. But, okay, in Eastern religions, you have a pantheon of gods. You have many gods, millions of gods, right? They can love each other. They can, ah. But Eastern religions teach that there may have been one God that exploded. And many gods came out of that one God. And in war and in chaos, they created the world. There wasn't love. There was no unity. There was no glorifying anyone else. There was no personal. The Eastern religions believe God or creation is an impersonal force of energy. It's got no relationship. It's got no person, personhood. So, why would God of infinite happiness, joy, and love create the world? The only answer that we can really think of and that scripture alludes to is it's not to get this mutual communication of love and joy, but to share it. God has not created us because he needs our worship. He wants to share this incredible glory, this incredible, immeasurable love, this indescribable unity with us. That's why God created us. And that, that brings me to my final point, our relation to the unity. How does the fact that God is a tri-personal God, how does that affect us today? Well, if God is tri-personal, if he is infinitely happy, if he is infinitely joyous and loving because of the glory, the love and the unity among the Trinity, and he created us to share that with him, then we will never be happy or joyous or loving unless we fulfill the purpose with which he made us. To glorify love and be united with him. You'll never have what he has until you live for the reason he created you for. That's how it affects us. It affects everything. You see, if there is no God, then love and relationship is not, it's not the meaning of life. It is a means to survival. That is the atheistic worldview then it is a result of trying to survive. And it is what we use each other. We use this just for our survival. But we all know that's not true. 
Because if God is tripersonal, then love and relationship supersedes everything else. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ is praying for in this prayer. Did you see it? I, I, I haven't touched it on, it on it yet. I flew over it. But it's this, when, when Jesus prays, he basically says, Father, let them have what we have. I'm gonna be crucified now. I'm gonna lay down my glory so that I may lift up your glory. Will you lift up my glory so that they might have what we have? Look, 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 verse 21. That they may be one just as we are one. That they may be one, verse 22, as we are one, right? I in them and you, Father, in me, Jesus, that they may know that you have loved them even as you loved me. You see, if God is tri-personal, the ultimate meaning of life is not possessions, it's not success, it's not happiness, it's not your children, it's not your spouse, it's not your house, that rhymes, I'm doing well. It's not your will, it's not your desires, it's not your emotions, it's not your feelings. If God is tri-personal, then the purpose of life, the meaning of life is to glorify, to love, and to be united with God, which results in us having it with one another as well. And that's the meaning of life. Jesus calls it eternal life. And the, the Greek meaning of that word eternal life is actually the highest quality of life you could possibly live starting now and ending for never. That's what it means. That's the definition of that word. And he defines it in verse three. Did you see Jesus defining what is eternal life? What is the highest quality of life that can start now and end never? Verse three says, this is eternal life. Guys, this is God. This is Jesus, the son. He's defining everything you want in one sentence. Everything you need. Here it is. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God is tri-personal. And that means that love and relationship came before creation. Creation flowed out of that place. And eternal life is caught up in knowing God, glorifying, loving, and uniting with Him. Now, I want to ask Diana to join me on stage because I want to ask a question. How can we do that today? How can we know him? How can we glorify him? How can we engage in our purpose of life that the Trinity teaches us? How can we be united with him? Because you might be here, you might say, but I, I feel far from him. Christian, you don't understand. For most of my life, I've lived for myself. I've lived in the way I was raised to live. And even when I have made decisions to follow God, I still default to living for myself, to living for the same old broken things that I have lived for my whole life. How can I possibly have what you are describing? How can I enjoy what the Trinity has asked me? Well, 
you see, here's, here's the first thing you need to know and to understand. Is that after this prayer, Jesus was arrested. From the day we were created, all of us have turned away from our original purpose to share with God and enjoy this. We've turned away and we've defined our purpose for ourselves. All of us. From that day, God has been on a mission to bring us back to Him, to unite us. But there's been a problem because God's very being dictates that He must punish everything that goes contrary to His Godhood. He must. Otherwise, He is not just. He is not righteous. But man, He loves us too much to allow us to live eternally in that separation that we've created for ourselves. And so after this prayer, Jesus was arrested. He knew he would be. And Jesus was led to a cross, crucified in our place. On that cross, you know what happened? That glory that the Father and the Son could enjoy, that glory, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition, naked and ashamed the glory laid at the Father's feet. He prayed here, he says, I give my glory to them, to the people. You see, Jesus was not loved in that moment, was rejected. He was not united. He was abandoned. He was forsaken. And he cried it out, Father, why have you forsaken me? So that we may know that's what, he, that's what he was undergoing. You see, if, if my wife, whom I have been married to for three years, would forsake me, that would hurt. Probably the most of anything I can imagine. But what if the person you've been one with for eternity forsake you? That would be a pain that we cannot bear. That we cannot understand. It. And that's what Jesus underwent. You know Why? so that you never have to. You never have to experience that abandonment from God ever, that rejection, that forsakenness, never, never, ever, ever again. You see, the more we grow in our understanding, our experience and our application of this reality, that the Son has united us with the Father, that the Son has given us His love and His glory, that we might know Him. The more we grow in our understanding daily, living for this, dedicated to this, meditating on it, sharing it with one another, enjoying it, the more that happens, the more we are experiencing and glorifying God, loving Him, being united with Him, and the more we will know that infinite happiness, that infinite joy, that constant contentment that we've been created to know. So maybe here, I wanna invite all of us to, to close our eyes as my daughter is making noises. No child can make noises like that. I'm just kidding. you're sitting here today you've never understood the crucifixion this way you've never had the 
the chance, you've never taken the moment to put your life on this track, back into this purpose. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who took the punishment in your place. And you want to do that today. Now is the moment for that. If that is you, will you stand and we can pray with you? If you've never done this, you have never done this. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Kirsten, I've lived for something else. I got sidetracked. I've changed my purpose. There's been other things that I've glorified more, loved more. I've followed more. I've aligned myself with more than Jesus Christ, than God and His purposes, His Word. And this morning, I want to repent. I want to turn away from that. I want to turn back to God. If that's you, will you stand? We can pray with you. saying this morning, Lord, I'm turning back. You are pulling me back and I want to be pulled by you. All right. Now, um, here's what I want to do. I want to invite the people who are sitting around you who are standing, or the leaders, to go to these people. Can we personally minister to them now and pray for them? I don't want to pray a prayer. I want to I want to invite the leaders. We've got many leaders in this church who are able to minister in this moment. Will you go to these people standing? Just stand with them. Just minister. Pray over them loud. Let's minister. Let's do this. Family, let's be a family. And the rest, if you're not ministering to someone, don't you maybe want to turn to the person next to you and just pray. Pray for every person who does not know Jesus, who is not living for this purpose, that you know who has turned away from this, that they will come back. This whole church, let's be praying. Everyone, let's turn to the person next to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single prayer. It's coming up like such a sweet and beautiful fragrance to you, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will answer these prayers. I see, um, Lord, maybe there's been some of us who have who've had an unhealthy dependence on something other than you, Father. Will you come fill those holes? Will you come and reestablish dependence on you? We were created to be dependent, but dependent on you and interdependent on each other, Father. And I pray in Jesus' name. 
that you will set people free, break chains and bonds that, that seems like it's been, it's been years, it's been a part of their identity of their lives. I pray, Father, that you will set free. And Lord, we pray for a, for a city out there that doesn't know you, that, Father, that at this moment does not get to enjoy this incredible purpose with which we've created. Call them back home, Lord. Call them back home. May we be a good older brother, like the prodigal son story, that does not just wait at home, but goes out to find our younger brothers and sisters. Bring them home, that they may know you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the good thing you do in this congregation. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen, Amen. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. That's everynationtwane.org forward slash moikluf. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Yeah.